you know, there are skeptics, of course, around this space, and I think that there's some valid criticisms that have emerged. It's one of the best tools that we have. It's not a perfect tool. All sorts of scrutiny is very welcome as, as this continual improvement uh, plays out. But certainly, it's a very useful tool for channeling billions of dollars into meaningful projects that support both communities, they support the sustainable development goals, uh, as well as, importantly, climate action. I'm Rory. Hi, I'm Kim. And this is the Nature-Based Solutions Podcast. We're going to get technical today, Murray. Bit more technical. Yeah. From a different, but a different perspective, right? So we're we're not looking at the radar and lidar. We're thinking about the flows of money, where the money comes from, and where it goes to. Yeah, it's always good to know. Follow the money. Follow the money. It's essential stuff. So, what is the uh, the the big picture? Well, it's the the macro trend is of uh, the world decarbonizing. We need to go faster. I mean, everybody knows that. Uh, there is a lot of activity. Is is the good news? The less good news is that we're yeah we're still not on track to meet our Paris targets mm. uh, and uh, so emitting too much carbon into the atmosphere and so the idea of putting a, a price on carbon means that then there's an incentive for people who are emitting carbon to reduce emissions and then uh, abate mitigate their their impact. Yeah. You know, one means that you can do this is through the purchase of forest carbon credits. So we know that there's a large uh, amount of money out there at the moment to invest into uh, which, and which is being invested into nature-based solutions. And I should point out that's in the public and, and the private sector, but we need more of it. So I think I mentioned in our previous recording, put me right if I didn't, that all of, of all the emissions that we uh, reductions we need to make to meet the Paris targets, around 30% need to come from nature-based solutions. But currently, if you uh, speak to the nice folks at, at Nature for Climate, they currently receive about 3% of all the, the funding. So we need a massive upscaling we do. of funding into, into nature-based solutions to climate change. Climate change is this huge market failure. It's a, the largest market failure of all time. We, we, we're, not, we're not pricing externalities. I mean, that's a definition of an externality, but we're not pricing the, the pollution. <laughs> okay. we're, not, we're not pricing the pollution which we're putting into the atmosphere, which has a negative impact on all of our lives, i.e., but the changes in the climate we're now starting to observe, which are consistent with climate change. So the solution is to put a price on the on the carbon and let economics then do the set thing. To, 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 to do its thing. So set the incentives for people then to reduce their emissions and, and to abate. To be able to do that, you need the very, very high quality data to demonstrate impact. And so that's what we do as a, as a company. We, we provide people with the, with the solutions to be able to do due diligence on a project, monitor its performance over time. And as we heard last week, we also work with the project developers uh, so that they can bring new projects to market. That's our, that's our contribution. And so I think this podcast today, it's really about how these markets work. I think it's really interesting for people who want to understand what a carbon market actually is and how it functions because it's called a voluntary carbon market. And I think that word voluntary mm. can mislead people. Yes, it, it can do. And I would say one of the things that came out of the Climate Week in New York 
was a proposal which I heard aired a few times. I'm not sure who originally put it on the table, but that we changed the name from VCM from voluntary carbon market to verified carbon market. Ah. And so actually, I think that's a much more productive way to deal with the conversation. You turned it, you turn it into a market where uh, there's a strong focus on verification. So. Um, Trust, trust, but verify. Yes, uh, and that's that's the way things are headed. So I think that's what that would be. That's a great context actually for for meeting Chris. Yes, Chris is an expert. He's very knowledgeable, and was a great person to ask all the basic questions to. So hopefully, once you've listened to Chris, you will be able to talk knowledgeably yourself about what a carbon market is. You know, voluntary climate action really sort of started in the sort of mid-1990s. I think the, the Rio conference was, was a kind of key landmark in that sort of evolution. I think that's 1992. And after that, there was the introduction from the UN side uh, through what's known as the Kyoto Protocol. So a key conference in, in Japan, which is where 192 nations agreed to act on climate change in a, in a coordinated fashion. And from there, you had uh, things like the UNFCCC, United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change emerging. So from about that time, mid-1990s, you had the emergence of both the voluntary climate action, where companies wanted to sort of get ahead and do and support uh, initiatives that were having meaningful impact on the climate as well as you had the sort of emergence of these more compliant schemes that came out of Kyoto. So for people not familiar with the space, it's a little bit confusing, but I think that, you know, it's, it's good to sort of understand those two different parallel tracks that, that emerged from that time. Mm. And over the last three decades, I suppose it is, there's been a, an evolution through an emergence of different voluntary standards. So Plan Beaver is one, Vera is another, Gold Standard is another as well as the clean development mechanism, which uh, facilitated a lot of projects through Kyoto Protocol and, and sort of supporting low and middle income countries to develop climate action and be financially remunerated uh, to do that through through these market mechanisms. So that's where it all started. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a long, complex journey, but certainly there's been continual improvement in terms of the technical aspects that support these markets. This obviously over the last few years been a real sort of focus on monitoring, uh, reporting, verification, technologies. We've even seen the emergence of blockchain. So the market is constantly evolving, always sort of subject to innovation. It's something that needs to be seen in that in that context, in my view. It's continually improving as the technology improves, as as most things do in the world. If you were to think about all the tools at our disposal to fight climate change, what role do the carbon markets play? So, yeah, that's a good question. I think I think the role of the carbon markets principally is to is to facilitate innovative uh, new types of activities, as well as to think about how finances are allocated to the lowest cost of mitigation, also known as abatement. So markets really fundamentally exist to sort of crack that conundrum where you're allocating uh, scarce financial resources to where you can have um, the biggest impact. So that's that's one of the fundamental reasons for using markets. And I think the carbon markets, whether it's the, on the voluntary side or the compliance side, try to do that, as well as provide this kind of space for innovation. So that's for me, the, the fundamental role. I think, you know, there are skeptics, of course, around this space. And I think that there's some valid criticisms that have emerged. It's one of the best tools that we have. It's not a perfect tool. 
all sorts of scrutiny is very welcome as, as this continual improvement uh, plays out. But certainly it's a very useful tool for channeling billions of dollars into meaningful projects that support both communities, they support the sustainable development goals, uh, as well as importantly, climate action, both on the mitigation side, as well as adaptation. Yeah. And how are they viewed by the people investing into them? Are they becoming more popular? How are they participating in the in the carbon market? So I think over the last few years, up to about sort of 2021, there's there's definitely been a massive surge of interest. I think urgency of the climate challenge has been very palpable. I think what we've seen is a kind of real rush to sort of secure projects, good projects, a real rush to sort of support and understand these markets much better. I think, of course, there's been economic uh, headwinds over the last couple of years, and there's been some other technical reasons why certain project types are sort of in favour or not so much, and, and that does change over time. But certainly, you know, it's it's been a very sort of active period for, for interest. And I think, you know, we've only seen through the IPCC reports, through different UN reports, that the scale of the problem is not getting any easier to solve. And this is definitely one of the tools that seem to be a really useful, supportive role for this transition, this decarbonisation route that, that the world is involved in. I think on a basic level, we, we spoke last week to Stuart Klenichen from Green Gold Forestry, and that was a, an example of how you can take a forest that was previously logged and turn it into a conservation project. And on a financial position, you know, you need to make the numbers add up, right? So carbon markets are one way to do that. Is that what people are looking for from carbon markets or are there more values that are there? Yeah, I think I think that's certainly one aspect of it. So, you know, there's a concept called additionality, you know, carbon finance or climate finance has to be something that would support initiatives that could not have happened otherwise. So that's a key factor that has to be demonstrated in projects and is often sort of overlooked by people who don't understand the space. I think the, the example you mentioned that's an example of where certain sort of marginally profitable adventure or, or ventures, should I say, can be sort of tipped into profitability through the support of carbon markets. So there may be act- activities that you know wouldn't have happened in a business as usual scenario, which can be made to be um, incentivized, let's say, through the support of carbon markets. So that's one area that carbon markets can play a role. I think in, in other areas, it's channeling resources into particularly low and middle income countries where you can support development goals, where you can support a wider body of objectives. So it's not purely focusing on, on carbon, but actually on the international development aspect, on supporting ecosystems and restoring ecosystems and providing a, you know, an important stream of finance to, to make that happen. And it follows that in order for this market to work, you need solid data to back it up. Very true. And I think that's really where, you know, we've got some exciting solutions coming from all manner of different actors that the industry, you know, if you look at a web of this market ecosystem these days, it's very diverse. There's thousands of different actors that have emerged to, to sort of play a role. And I think, you know, everyone would agree these markets are starting to mature. So you are having you know, aspects which look much more like other markets, all the different intermediary roles that, that play, play an important function. We're obviously uh, very focused currently on, on aspects around transparency, integrity, making sure that, you know, this whole sort of value chain uh, is professional and is understood and can be, you know, reproduced and, and, and uh, reported on by all sorts of different sort of actors as well as regulators. And I think, you know, on the subject of regulation, 
some people see, certainly on the voluntary side, this progression to more and more regulation. So, you know, you could you could view some of the activities as sort of in this intermediary phase before more more regulation is applied in the future. And I think that would be agreed upon by a lot of market stakeholders. And I read recently that Japan has just started trading carbon credits. They are G credits. They're not recognising Vera, as far as I understand right now. Do you think more and more countries are going to get involved? Yes, on the national side, each country is a world, of course, and I think that, you know, they have certain obligations under the Paris Agreement. So that's one key aspect to bear in mind. They have their nationally determined contribution to the Paris Agreement, which is their their own efforts, which have been measured in terms of mitigation. How that actually plays out in terms of the markets and which standards are approved by individual countries or which project types are prioritised for financing and resources. This is going to play out over the next few years. We're starting to see under particularly Article 6.2 of the Paris Agreement, a lot of bilateral MOUs and, and contracts being signed. You know, the likes of Switzerland and Sweden and some others are actually supporting various countries around the world in, in, in terms of their climate priorities, as well as some countries now starting to define their own carbon regulations what types of standards and projects do they want to prioritise to support their NDCs and how exactly that, that all plays out will we'll take another couple of years. I think that's pretty clear, but, but certainly it's an exciting time. Low and middle income countries are um, now with their own targets, which didn't happen under Kyoto. So that's an interesting uh, development. So it's something to keep an eye on. We'll probably come back and speak to you again. We need your expertise to guide us through all of this. If you had your crystal ball handy, what would you say are the things to look out for over the next few years? Another good question. I think um, right now there's a real key focus on, as I said, transparency and integrity concerns. And there's been some important developments from the likes of the uh, VCMI, the Voluntary Carbon Market Integrity Initiative, as well as the ICVCM, which is the uh, Integrity Council on the Voluntary Carbon Market. So these two private sector organisations are leading the charge, let's say, on on claims by corporate organisations, as well as the quality and integrity aspects of of the market. So that's certainly something to watch as they produce new guidance. There's a new labelling scheme that's going to come out towards the end of the year from the the ICVCM. In terms of the sort of market headwinds, I think, you know, perhaps there's, there's going to be a couple of years of sort of maybe less growth than we saw in 2021 before it probably picks up again leading up to 2030. So I think the market has always gone through this kind of evolution like many other markets it was a big growth period up to 21 and i think you know it was, it was around about two billion dollars uh, in size for for that year which is a record i think it's leveled off a little bit last year in 2022 but i think you know most of the large investment firms and analyst firms are predicting quite stellar growth of the markets up to 2030 potentially 10 15 times in terms of size so, you know, there's going to be a lot of activity. There's going to be a lot of uh, securing supply of projects, a lot of interesting developments around new methodologies for new project types and this emergence of dependence on technology and how that all plays out. So, you know, that's quite exciting with all the machine learning and AI aspects to, to market development as well. How do you find that, Kim? I feel like I've learned a lot today. Very good. <laughs> I do like that about this podcast. You take something quite complex and you come away going, I think I know what that is now. Well, that's, a, that's a good question. Do you find that you learn a lot by 
actually creating the podcast themselves. hundred percent. I'm always asking questions. (laughs) You know me, I love to ask a question. But these are things that really matter. And I think there's a lot of noise and it's really inspiring to cut through the noise and to understand what actually works. Yep. And what companies actually need to know so that they can participate properly. Okay. And I think what keeps coming back more and more is that you need decent data in order for any of this to work. Yes. I mean, obviously that's a pitch for our business, but that equally would say that that's why we have a business in the first place. Yeah. It's the, it's the hunger for data. And I think generally what we're seeing is it's the appetite for that really high quality data. There's a lot of secondary data or a lot of lower quality data available at scale. What the market really needs is the high quality information that really gives people the confidence to go and invest yeah. in these the, in these long-term projects in remote places and having the confidence that they are making the impact that, that they claim. And they want to put a number on a spreadsheet, right? They want to put something into an annual report. They want to be able to yeah. quantify the action and the results but and I, the impact. Uh, yes, I know, but I would say that, you know, it's, it's definitely not performative. There's a lot of committed action, a good amount of committed funds. I think probably historically you might look at, um, you know, at corporate actions to aggress their, their environmental impact as somewhat like a, as a performative process. Now, it's much more that organisations are, are making a science-based target to to reduce emissions across uh, their entire supply chain, and they're also looking to ideally also looking to make a contribution to nature conservation. For instance, through the purchase of credits or even in the investment into into projects themselves. I think I know what you mean. But I think actually there's a, it's a lot more than that. There's a lot of positive action. And what I would love to see is people sharing that positive narrative about the impact that these projects do make on the ground. And one of the key things... Okay, I'm going to get back on my high horse. Oh, one God. Of the things that from, soapbox is creaking know, under your weight. It's another one of these false dichotomies. Coming away from New York, people are talking about engineering solutions for capture. So these... It's an order of magnitude more expensive to use engineering solutions, if not a, a couple. At the moment, um, we're still creating huge amount of emissions from fossil fuels and from deforestation. That's where we should be for, for return on investment. That's where we should be focusing. Yeah, we have to have that shared narrative of let's let's get this sorted. Let's get high quality projects developed. Yeah, and bring data to the market to ensure that there's the trust. Uh, and transparency to scale up investment. Well, that was really interesting speaking to Chris. We're going to come back to carbon markets because we've got more guests lined up with more expertise in this area. But for today, thank you for educating me. Well, I think Chris has done done, done the work there. I just momentarily got on my high horse. So, <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for that. Really enjoying these. So yeah. uh, looking forward to the next guests that you bring in. I think we might go to Brazil next. What do you reckon? Fantastic. Any back to well, am, I, am I back on a plane? Or? No, no, no. You're okay. on enough planes. Okay. You're going to Riyadh soon, though. I am, yes. Saudi itself has a Vision 2030 document, which sees the country transform away from being entirely dependent on fossil fuels for its economic development, has a, a plan for uh, increasing female emancipation, a transformation and diversification of the economy at large. There's a whole series of events there over the next uh, couple of weeks that I'll be attending of central interest to what we do as space intelligence for people who they're either going to be partners or potential clients of the business. So very much looking forward to meeting people. 
Excellent. Well, I look forward to your stories when you come back. Indeed. I will tell you all about it in, uh, in a few weeks' time. Fantastic. Thanks for listening. Subscribe now to the Nature Based Solutions podcast on all major podcast players out every Wednesday for a 10 part series finishing just before COP28. And if you do enjoy our chat, then check out some of the other podcasts that we've recorded Edinburgh Space Data Capital, Scotland's Secret Space Race, Great British Liftoff, and Inspired by Space. <laughs>